Welcome to Simple Theology, a podcast doing stuff with theology. Connecting theology to everyday life. Yeah. Through examining. By examining various doctrines, various doctrines of the Christian faith. Thanks Christian. for picking me up there. Rob, phenomenal. Oh, thank you. Hey, you know what's phenomenal? A lot of uh, Jesus. Jesus is phenomenal. Yeah, uh, yeah, And I'm just absolutely. scrolling through your Twitter account. It's pretty interesting as well. Yeah, well, what makes it interesting? Well, I mean, just things you retweet. What were some of those things that I retweeted? Well, I just didn't realize you're such a big fan of that, that book, Girl, Wash Your Face. <laughs> Is this you, like, in a selfie, reading it? And, like, yeah, with your my little, your cup of nook? coffee. That's cute. Mm-hmm. You have a dirty face, though. That's, that's the ironic well, part. I was letting everybody know that I'm just about to go wash my face. Mm, oh, okay. Hey, one interesting thing on here. By the way, my name is Rick Romlick. This is Rob Kane. And I'm Robert Kane, yep. Um, you can see him at I am Robert Kane on Twitter. No, it's uh, I'm. <laughs> okay. Um, no, so you shared the story about this boxer, Andy Ruiz. I think. Oh, Andy Ruiz. Ruiz, yeah. So he, he beats this guy, Anthony Joshua. And I watched part of this fight on afterwards. Um, phenomenal story. This this one guy, Anthony Joshua, just built like a tank. Dude, I mean, he's they, like Rocky. Dude, the guy's Not huge. Not Rocky, the other guy. Built. Who? Who's the guy? Who did Rocky go up against? Well, uh, Mr. T? I don't know. The I, Russian? I have a confession. I don't, it's not that much of a confession. I think I've told you before. I think maybe I've seen one of the Rocky films. Really? Okay. And I don't even know if I watched it all the way through. That explains a lot. Okay. <laughs> that, I, a lot of things so are I don't know who Rocky went up against. Well, okay, so his biggest opponent was Apollo, not Apollo Creed. Apollo Creed. No, he's a black dude. His biggest was... Um, Drago from uh, oh, Rush Rocky Four, that the Russian. But anyway, Joshua Anthony Joshua, huge dude. I mean, guys chiseled. The guy's several inches taller. Just clearly, if you're to pick him out like this guy, the other guy, Andy Ruiz. I thought it was Ruiz. I don't know how to say his Ruiz, name. Is it Andy? I think so. Yeah, Andy. Why? Okay. Yeah. He's um, a Latino. Does not look like he's in shape. Looks relatively fat. No, uh, he he joked around <laughs> about saying how he's gonna have Snickers like before yeah. the fight or something like yeah. that. He is not um, a chiseled man. But anyway, so they fight, and Andy beats the guy. He knocks him out. He knocks him out. Yeah. It was phenomenal. It was great. Um, I don't know, but that's on Rob's Twitter. It was Twitter. really great. You and he said this more. is for all my fat boys out there when he won. <laughs> <laughs> so it's even greater response. And the guy that he beat was actually, like, happy for him. Really? Yeah. Like, if you look at some of the pictures, he's, like, smiling. Like, he's he seems to be happy for him. So I don't know. But so, you, know, hey, you know what's even better than that? Yeah, go ahead. I know what you're going to say, but yeah. Oh, Canada. <laughs> something, 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 something. However, the Toronto Raptors took care of business and beat the Golden State Warriors, albeit the hobbled Golden State Warriors, but that's fine. I don't care I'll t- I'll how they it. lost. <laughs> I'm fine so long as they lost. So big tip of the cap to Toronto. You're probably going to lose Kawhi, so enjoy this while it lasts, but very, very mm-hmm. happy for Kawhi Leonard, he got traded to Toronto, didn't want to be traded to Toronto. The Spurs said we're not trading to anywhere on in the West Coast or in the Western Conference. And so we're going to send him up north to Toronto, and they thought they were going to kind of stick it to him, and he comes back and wins the there NBA Finals and gives yeah. Toronto their first NBA Finals. That was really, really a great story. So I'm I'm kind of holding out, hoping that he goes to the Lakers. I don't think that's going to happen because there's just there's too many things that would need to happen. But I'm also hoping he does not go to the Clippers. Mm, Columbus, a, Columbus Clippers. Is he a baseball yeah, player? Columbus. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. Old Indians farm team, huh? So I get for talking sports <laughs> with Rick. <laughs> um, 
what, because one thing. Kevin Durant is considering the Clippers. So if Kevin Durant, Are you dude, if Kevin Durant and Kawhi went to the Clippers, I'm buying season Then all tickets. this great stuff that's happening with the Lakers <laughs> getting people like it's going to be down the drain once Kevin Durant comes back. That's so, funny. Yeah, so I'm really hoping that Kawhi does not go to the Clippers. I'd rather see him stay in Toronto. I'm I'm happy for you. I really yeah. am. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and Anthony Davis went to went to the Lakers. Yeah. And they're talking about getting some other people, so very exciting stuff. And all of our listeners who don't get into sports are just super annoyed with us. Hey, this this, um, I'm going to talk a little sports as well. This is a shout-out. Um, by the time this drops, it'll all be over, but shout-out to my man, Ron Wallace, for um, speaking prophetically, but taking his team all the way, win the championship for the Little Leagues. Um, oh, I was like, is this team Toronto? <laughs> no, his team is. He's the head coach. and um, For the Little Leagues? For his, I think they're they're not. They're in one of those leagues that are little. <laughs> <laughs> you remember the movie? Is little, it baseball? You remember, yeah. Okay. You remember the movie? Um, no, oh, what was it? You know the football movie, Little not Little Rascals, the football movie, um, Little Giants. Oh. Remember that movie? It was uh, it was set in Urbana, Ohio. Is really? What they talk okay. about. But then in the movie, you can see like mountains in the background. Oh my gracious! And Urbana, it's Western Ohio, which is just flat as all get out. Anyway, yeah. shout out to you, Ron. Take him to the championship, baby. Take him to the ship. All right, we are talking about this office of priest with Jesus, and we've gone mm-hmm. through a few of them. So if you haven't been listening, so we've we've gone through Jesus as the second or last Adam. Mm-hmm. We've gone through Jesus as prophet, and now we are going to talk about Jesus as priest. And so, Rick, if you want to go ahead and read that definition. Yeah. To give some so background, says, yeah, be helpful. Priest is one of the three offices of Christ, munis treplex. Did I say that right, Rob? Oh yeah, something like that. Um, that. That's prophet, priest, and king. And we'll cover king next time. Christ as a priest designates him as a high priest after the order of Melchizedek or Melchizedek, one whose priesthood consists of offering a final sacrifice, mediating a better covenant and having and living to intercede for his new covenant people. Mm. So it's this idea that Christ, he was our redeemer, he's our, our functions in the way of a, of a priest. Again, in the order of Melchizedek, which that's a whole other conversation about Melchizedek and yeah. all that stuff. We're not going to get too deep he, into that. Yeah, so he, he administers a new covenant to his people, and then he lives to help them walk in that and continue in that new covenant. Yep, and this was a, a really big deal during the Reformation. So the the Protestant Reformation were the um, reformers, Martin Luther, Zwingli, Calvin, and, and others. What, what are you looking at? Fins awake. Oh, no, man. Okay. She's up. Oh, shoot. Okay, we're probably going to have to pause this. But let me finish this thought. Let me finish this thought, and then we can pause it. Um, <laughs> I don't know what's happening. I don't know why that was so funny. <laughs> this whole episode is a train wreck. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what to do. Anymore. Are you ready? Yeah, Are yeah. you gonna you gonna pull yourself together here? <sighs> Last week it was you. This week. It was me. <laughs> okay. All so, right. with these reformers, yeah. They recognize that Jesus is our high priest, and mm-hmm. so we do not need mm-hmm. a human priest to intercede for us. Yeah. Um, one, Jesus, who was fully human and fully God. What the world was that? Is there an animal down here? I have no idea what's <laughs> happening. Anyway, Jesus being fully man and fully God, he is our high priest who 
has interceded, like you said, this new covenant for us on behalf yeah. of us. And so the reformers saw this and they said, look, we don't need to go to a priest mm-hmm. to ask for forgiveness because we have access to God through yeah. our ultimate high priest, Jesus. Yeah. Well, I think it's also good to remember that um, in the Bible, a priest is someone who is called by God to offer sacrifice on the behalf of others. So we see this with the Levitical priesthood. I mean, they made these sacrifices on behalf of the people of Israel. So then Christ is called by the Father and is obedient and is a sacrifice for us um, on behalf of the people for um, for God. Yeah, well, the so the priesthood in, in the Old Testament actually... Um, well, are you going to well actually? Uh, yeah, well actually, as I push my glasses up. Um, so before Sinai, the priesthood was given to the firstborn sons. And then after Sinai, the priesthood was uh, given to the sons of Aaron. You can read about that in Exodus 28 and 29, Leviticus 8 and 9. And then after that, uh, the Levites were added to the what's called the Aaronic priesthood. Not moronic, Rick. I never said anything. The Aaronic. Let's not be impious. A A A Ronic. A A Ronic. Present. Present. Oh man. Okay. Um. So yeah, the the Levites were added to that, and so they served as as guardians of the tabernacle and as high priests. So the place where God dwelled, they kind of were guardians of that. But so while that system to protect Israel from God's holy wrath, this this um, office of priest, all of the things that the priests were called to do to protect the people from God's wrath by staying uh, ceremonially clean and by not sinning, by not breaking God's law. Well, all of these things actually led to greater separation between God and his people because the people continued to, as God rolled out more laws, more about him, the people ended up breaking more things more laws, and so they ended up becoming more and more distant, which then made it very clear that we need a better priest, we need a better covenant. Yeah, and as we get into the book of Hebrews, it does talk a lot more about, I mean, that's our main text as far as Christ's priestly office, um, but it's good to understand he didn't he didn't become a priest because of um, his, line, his earthly lineage or because of the, the tradition of the Hebrews or um, any of those things that on earth that made him a priest. He was a priest, the high priest, because of um, his qualification. One, as the the high son, or not the high son, um, what's the, the superior sonship, as he is closer, um, what's the word, Rob? More intimate mm. with father. Well, what are you trying to say? Well, as I say, like a, a, a almost like a proxy, but because of the Trinity, I mean, he is God, but he's also separate from the Father. So in his proximity, but also in his sonship, and in, in also his indestructible nature, that these brought the qualification for him to be a high priest, to bear, and he was uh, the perfect high priest for us. So, yeah, whereas, so- whereas in, the, in the Hebrew, in, in the Old Covenant, I mean, you had the high priest based on lineage, and there were some qualifications to go with that. Um, and then you kind of had what you had. Whereas with Christ, it wasn't based on those things. It was based on the fact that he was the Son of God. He was preeminent among all things, and he was indestructible. And because of those things, he was in the order of Melchizedek, Melchizedek, and that qualified him to be our high priest. Okay, so when you say indestructible, because clearly Mm -hmm. Jesus was beaten, and clearly he was hung on a cross, and clearly Mm -hmm. 
He clearly, died. Clearly. So we read about that in the gospel. So when you say indestructible, what do you mean? Uh, he rose again. Hello. Hello. I mean, we're talking about part of that is just his divinity. He's God. I mean, yeah. you can destroy. They destroyed in a sense his his flesh, but they cannot destroy his um, his divinity. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So there's some pushback to the idea of Christ as priest. Yeah, but by who though? Well, I don't know some people out there, but their primary argument is that in the Gospels, he's never explicitly called priest. Mm. So there are... Well, I mean, here's my take. I mean, think about the passage in... Let me hear your take. It's going to be a hot take, by the mm. way. I haven't thought through it much, but... That's good. Um, you know, Christ talks about his people in John 17, preserving his people being an intercessor for his people, shepherding those that, Christ, that the Father has given to him. And so there's a lot of priestly nature that goes on in John 17. And there's also this passage, I mean, this idea that where people will push back and say, Jesus didn't explicitly say that he was God. Hmm. It's like, well, he, he did. Yeah. He, just, you didn't, he didn't say, I am God. Period. He said, I am. <laughs> which, yeah. And he it, said, I and the Father right. are one. So, so is the Father not so God? So it's, it's like the same thing where people are just getting whacked out on semantics. Yeah. Okay. So when it comes to those reasons, so we're going to look at some reasons in the Gospels mm-hmm. why um, we feel like it's pretty clear that Jesus is priest. And then we're going to look at some reasons in Hebrews. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk about the implications of that in Jesus' life and ours. So... When it comes to the Gospels, and we're pulling this information, again, we got to give credit where credit is due, from the Lexham, what is it, Lexham you can't, Survey of Theology. You can't get it unless you have Logos or you buy yeah, it's it. on Logos, so we encourage mm-hmm. you guys to get that. Um, you don't have to get... Mortgage like, your house and buy Logos. Yeah, exactly. You don't have to get the super expensive ones or anything like that. What's think, the most expensive one? Do you know? I want to say it's like over 10 grand. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, like, crazy. Rob, but Rob, I'm sure there's a lot of valuable resources in there. Eight grand was the one you got? Mm, not even close. <laughs> Anyway, Rick, go ahead and take... So we're going to go through some of these points. Yeah. Um, We are not going to elaborate on a bunch of them because there's a lot. And so we want to put it out there. And um, if something resonates with you guys, you guys have any additional questions, feel free to shoot us an email or to reach out to us, social media or right on our our website, whatever it is. Um, But you guys can always reach out to us and ask us to elaborate more on something if if you'd like us to. But for this, we're just going to... We're just going to run through these points. So yeah, I'm going to read this. Go ahead. Uh, just as Adam was a priest king in the garden, and the sons of Adam called upon the name of the Lord, and we see this in Genesis 4, 26, and offered sacrifices, so Christ is a second Adam, is also a priest king. Jesus' genealogies, is that right? Yeah. I think I need glasses. And baptism, man. Um, both evidence uh, his status as a new Adam over Israel and hence a priest. New Adam slash Israel. Bro, you need some yeah. glasses. I have a pair, but I think it's the I think it's the highlighting, because on the left, I don't have a problem with it. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. know. Yeah, see, new, but, he's a new... Okay, so just quickly, yeah. that. we see um, in the garden as, as Jesus, as I mean, the as a priest king over his people, and that point being Adam and Eve as mediator, and then in the end, in the New Covenant... Still over his his people, the new Adam. We talked about the second Adam, who serves as a, as a priest over those people. Yeah, yep. Um, and it also, yeah, what you're talking about him being the new Adam, but then also the new Can Israel. Can you enlarge that? Maybe I don't know. 
Um, but then also the new Israel it doesn't look like I can. Here, just get closer to you, man. Yeah, I'm, um, but, I'm but Jesus is also the new Israel in that he fulfills the Mosaic law perfectly, and he is an Israelite, and so he is the perfect Israel. And so anyone in him gets to inherit the blessings of God's promises to his people, Israel. Um, so we second point here, Jesus' healing ministry suggests a better priesthood. And you can look at Leviticus 13 and 14, as well as Matthew 8 for that. Yeah. Yeah. We talk, I might talk about this a minute ago, but John 17, there's, there's passage in Luke 6 and uh, Luke 22 where we see that Jesus um, is is a priestly prayer. He intercesses for his people. Yep, just like a priest. And Jesus inaugurates a new covenant and teaches his disciples how to rightly understand the law. There you go. Jesus blesses his disciples just as the Aaronic or Aaronic Aaronic priest blessed the nation of Israel. Uh, we see this in Numbers chapter 6 and Luke 24. Yep. Um, and then based on the context of Isaiah 53 and 61, Jesus' identity as a suffering servant and the proclaimer of good news are both inherently priestly. Exactly. And we do see um, Jesus in Matthew 22 identify himself with Psalm 110, which is the passage in which the Lord, Yahweh, says to David, Lord, you are a priest forever after in the order of Melchizedek. Yep. So as we can see, there's there's good reason for us to embrace Jesus's priestly office just off of the evidences that we see in the Gospels. However, um, the Gospels, even though they provide sufficient evidence, they're not even the most convincing evidence because the most convincing evidence comes from the book of Hebrews. And um, but trying to see. We... Okay, yeah. So let's just go through this list. This list is five points. It's not as long as the last one, but. I would argue that the, the points are more convincing because the book of Hebrews, if you just sit down and open up the Bible and go through the book of Hebrews, you're going to see a lot mm. of connection to the Old Testament, specifically in the form of the priesthood. And it talks about Melchizedek, which there's various debates on um, who Melchizedek was, and you can look into those. We're not smart enough to get into that right now, um, but you guys are, so you guys can dig in there. But the first point here mm-hmm. is that Christ priesthood is based on his obedient sonship. You see that in Hebrews 1, uh, Hebrews 2, 3, 4, 5, and 7. So you can see a lot of evidences mm-hmm. there. Uh, and unlike the Levites, whose priesthood was based upon the weakness of their flesh, Christ's perfect sonship was rewarded with an indestructible life and the right to sit at God's right hand as a great high priest. You see that in Hebrews 1 and in Hebrews Five, yeah, and I think it was, as we also look at Hebrews three through six, we, and even in seven, we we see that Christ's priesthood is is above and greater than Aaron or Moses. Um, and you know, for, for the when Jesus came on the scene, like those were the guys. I mean, Moses yeah. like was it. So when Jesus said that he is greater than Moses, he was making a phenomenal statement. Yeah, blasphemous that, statement they, that they were willing to. They thought it was kill him for. Yeah, yeah. So and, and that was in the Gospels, and then but Hebrews really lays it out that because of his proxy, because of what he's he's deity, right? We talked about that a minute ago because he is the Son of God, and he's so God. So because of that, he it's not the same he, he as the 
the priest that he were he was following. He was greater than them. Um, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, um, if you look at Hebrews five, specifically verses one through ten, you can see that Christ priesthood um, is within the order of Melchizedek, which we mentioned a little bit earlier, um, but which is to say that he has royal priesthood, um, which royal. We, we embrace that because him being of the Father, him being of God, and being God himself, that would be the highest place of royalty. Yeah. And so he being in the order of Melchizedek is also to say that he has a royal priesthood. Yeah. I mean, as a high priest, he lives to intercede for his people, um, and he represents them, but he does this um, for eternal. It's this eternal redemption of the church um, to God the Father, making all things right, um, and nothing will disqualify him from this. And that was not true for the Levites. I mean, we looked at um, Samuel. Was it Samuel's? I don't know Elijah's, where you're going. His, his sons who were cut off. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, or disobedience. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this may be the most convincing point, um, but all of them nonetheless are good. But in Hebrews, we see that Jesus's priesthood ushers in a new covenant. And the new covenant that it ushers in actually secures forgiveness in a way that the old covenant was not able to do. And so now this new covenant, forgiveness is secured once and for all, for all those who are in Christ, whereas the old covenant made provisions for ways forgiveness could be attained. However, it wasn't a once and for all forgiveness. Um, and so now that Jesus is our, our high priest, mm-hmm. we see that his priesthood creates, Rick, a, a new class yes, of royal priests, Rick. Thanks, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> so, so when it says that, that Christ's priesthood creates a new class of royal priests, mm-hmm. what 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 does that mean? Well, I mean, so Professor Rick, mm, it's doctor. <laughs> I call my it's, doctor. It's doctor. By sir. the way, I just want to make a comment, and that is the fact that Rob, you have one thousand one hundred eighty likes on your Twitter page. What? Yeah, one thousand one hundred eighty people have liked stuff on your Twitter. I don't even know how you could get that stat. It's, that. it's right there in front. It says tweets, followings, followers, likes. No, I think that's. The likes oh, you've liked that them. I like, yeah. That's a lot of likes. You're yeah. only following 140. Bro, oh, I, don't, I do not people. have a, much of a Twitter presence. However, I enjoy yeah. Twitter. I'm glad you enjoy it. Okay. It's a good news so, source. So your question was, Christ priesthood creates a new class of royal priests, and how is that? Um, the whole nation of Israel was called a royal priesthood in Exodus 19.6. Now, now in Christ's new covenant... Um, the royal priesthood is reapplied to the church. Now, here's a question for you. Oh, ask away. Get a little sidetracked here. Um, dispensationalists would probably disagree with that, right? They would say that it's, or would they say the priesthood is for the church, but they're still God's people, the nation? That's a good question. You have to ask a dispy. No dispies. Jimmy? <laughs> Jimmy. So, yeah, there's a, this idea that because Christ is a royal priest, He's now representing us. This and Israel was the royal priesthood, and now in the new covenant that I think belongs to us. Yeah, and then also Scripture talks about how um, it makes a lot of phrases where it alludes to the fact that if you are following Jesus, mm-hmm. then you are doing priestly activities. And so some of those phrases are that we are living sacrifices, Romans twelve one through two. So just like priests would. 
uh, present sacrifices to the Lord on behalf of the people. Mm-hmm. So now we live our lives as living sacrifices, mm-hmm. that we are a drink offering, Philippians 2.17, that we are the circumcision, Philippians 3.3, 3, that we are living stones, 1 Peter 2.5. Um, and then finally, that uh, evangelism is also presented in like kind of priestly terms in Romans 15, uh, verse 16, and 1 Peter 2.10. And so the final goal of Christ's work isn't just to provide this thing and take a step back, mm-hmm. but it, it, the final goal of his work is to make his people a kingdom, which he's going to usher in in, in the new age when he returns, but a kingdom not just of redeemed people, but a kingdom of priests mm-hmm. who are living sacrifices, who um, are in Christ, who is our high priest, which is kind of a cool thing to think about. Yeah, I think it's great. Well, just theologically, I think it's pretty great too, Rick. Thanks. Well, I'm glad you agree. Uh, Christ's priesthood also informs many aspects of his person and his work. As a high priest, Christ Jesus mediates the new covenant in such a way that every blessing he received he shares with his priestly people. And this is the idea that um, whereas old covenant priests, they would, you know, they would take whatever you're bringing to sacrifice and sacrifice it to the Lord on your behalf. But Christ's priesthood, it is for all of his people. So it's not him just simply doing a transaction, but it's him sharing his his office in a sense with all of his people as well. Yeah, so we, we discussed earlier the evidences of Jesus's priesthood in the Gospels. And then we discussed just a little bit ago of the evidence of his priesthood in the book of Hebrews, which is very explicit. And so now this third section that we're going into is going to talk about how his priesthood informs the aspect of his person and what he has done for us. And so exactly what you just said, that he mediates his new covenant and what was it? Um, in such a way that every blessing he receives, he shares with his priestly people that Jesus ushering that in mm-hmm. and all the things that he earned with his perfect righteousness, those who are in Christ receive with him. Mm-hmm. And and as we look at that, we can see, so with the old covenant, all the things that we deserved under the mm-hmm. the curse of the old, old covenant, mm-hmm. Jesus, as he was ushering this new covenant, he took on the curse of the old covenant and simultaneously inaugurated the new covenant. And so two things are happening there on the cross in that Jesus is taking the punishment for his people. Mm -hmm. Then he is also ushering in a new covenant that puts the old one to bed and then brings in this new one where forgiveness is allotted for his people once and for all. And we no longer have to have a priest who sacrifices for us every day because we've we've fallen. In fact, mm-hmm. Jesus's sacrifice is sufficient. When he was on the cross, his final words were, "It is finished." Mm-hmm. So the the penalty that for our sin that the old covenant requires demands because of God's justice has been satisfied and it is finished. So now all those who embrace that good news that Jesus has paid for that sin and embrace Jesus as Lord, as their high priest, they get to experience the fruit of that new covenant that was inaugurated by Christ. Well, and, and as Christ was the, I mean, and it's kind of reiterating what I said a moment ago, the perfect atoning sacrifice, um, it, it was completely effective for the people he was atoning for, he was representing. So again, in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, I mean, the priest was representing 
some people, and for some it was effective, and for some it was not based on not just their sacrifice, but their heart. Whereas for Christ, because he's atoning and he's regenerating this new life, um, it's effective completely for all the people he's representing and he's atoning. It's yeah. a complete work for them. There's no kind of some are in, some are out. Yeah, no, exactly. And that's partially where, where we get the doctrine of um, preservation of, of of the saints. I'm glad I'm glad you brought that, that, that up. We, that we will not lose our salvation because Christ is completely able and will fulfill um, the atoning work and the uh, redemption of his people. Yeah. Um, I'm glad you brought that up because that's part of that TULIP acronym that discusses kind of Reformed theology or, or Calvinism. Mm-hmm. Um, but the next point is that Christ intercedes for all whom he atones. And so that feeds right into the L in that TULIP, the mm-hmm. limited atonement. Or what are the other ways, the nicer ways of saying limited atonement? There's definite atonement. Definite atonement. That's yeah. the one I was thinking of. That That's a nicer way to say it, which I, I think is a more it's helpful more way, a more accurate, accurate way. Yeah. yeah. So um, just, just trail off for just 10 seconds and, and explain what you're talking about. Okay, so when we talk about the atonement being limited or the atonement being definite, what it's in opposition to, because the this tulip five points of Calvinism, they were created in response to the remonstrance. So people who came up with these other five points and the tulip is Calvinism's, not Calvin didn't come up with these, but um, people who embrace that school of thought, it's their response. Mm-hmm. And so they're responding to the idea of unlimited atonement, which is that Jesus paid for the sins of all people everywhere, all time with his, with his death on the cross his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. Now, what limited or definite atonement says, and we did an episode on this, so if you guys want to want to hear us riff on this a little bit longer, go ahead and look back at our, our episode on limited atonement. But what it says is that Jesus died and his death on the cross was effective and atoned for the sins of his people, of the sheep, of the church. So all of those who would be or all those who are elect, that's another hot topic word. Um, But what it's saying is that everyone whom Christ meant to save, he has accomplished it perfectly. There was no one whom he set out to save that he failed in saving. Now, instantly the, the pushback is, oh, wow. Like what about free will? What about all the, and, and, We've, yeah. we've talked about compatibilism as well. It's just another episode that you guys can look at. It's, it's where we talk about how man's free will and God's sovereignty mm-hmm. in all things, but even in salvation, can fit perfectly together. They are yeah. perfectly compatible. And so if you want to hear us talk about that, like go check out that episode. But instead of us getting on any more, any more tangents, just, just hear that when Christ intercedes for Christ does intercede for all whom he atones. So if he has interceded and atoned for your sin because you are in Christ, mm-hmm. then he continues to intercede for you. You do not need to seek somebody else out. There's no division between the ones for whom he died and the ones for whom he now lives to intercede for. Right. They're they're one. It's not that oh Christ died for your sins, but he doesn't intercede for you. Right. Those people are one and the same. Now, evangelistically, you can still say that Christ died for all those who would repent and believe, and that would be perfectly accurate. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, and, and for those who he does atone for and, and redeem and regenerate, um, 
Christ as a priest teaches those people. Whereas we see in the, in the Old Covenant, the priests were serving as mediators in a sense, but they were not teaching the people. They were not showing them how to keep Scripture, obey Scripture. I mean, it's constant in the Old Testament. You know, people just, God does something amazing, the people complain, they rebel. God does something, He redeems them, He saves them, again and again and again. And they, they were not teaching them how to walk in obedience to the Scriptures. Whereas Christ, he, it's not like, hey, I'm going to try to. Like, he, he will teach us. Um, if if we're if there's no growth and there's n- no um, fruit of the spirit, and there, we feel like there's nothing happening, then that might be a good time to kind of question. And I don't mean like, hey, it's been you know four months and I haven't felt encouraged. But I mean, if there's no change in your life after a sustained amount of time, there's no desire f- for holiness, there's no hatred for sin or or anything remotely close to those things, then chances are you need to examine yourself because maybe you're not um, you haven't truly surrendered to the Lord. He hasn't. Uh, redeemed you. So seek him on that. But anyway, this is where Christ is faithful to his people, the people he represents as he teaches them to be obedient to the Father. Yeah. And then like the priests under the old covenant who drove everything unclean from God's presence, so now when Jesus returns, he is going to bring a new heaven and a new earth where he is going to cleanse both heaven and earth and um there will be no more sin. There will be no more effects of sin. And um, so just like those those old covenant priests who would try to cleanse the camp or right. cleanse uh, the, the nation of Israel from uh, any sin that may have crept in, and, and they, they failed at it. Yeah. Like we saw that all throughout the old, old covenant. So now Christ, when he comes back, he's going to do that, but he's not going to fail. There's going to be a perfect new heaven and earth where the effects of sin and, and sin in general are completely absent. Yeah, and and we um we are to imitate Christ in His holiness, and, and we see this in His in Christ's devotion to the Father, um, and His commitment to the Word of God. But you know, it was a First Peter one fifteen says, "You shall be holy as I am holy." Mm-hmm. And we are called to be holy as Christ is holy. Um, so in this idea, um, of, of being like God's people. So, so it's not like we're just in a kind of a herd together, but we have we have a priest who is ready and willing, and and, and for our believers who has interceded on our behalf, has atoned for our sin, um, and who is it was not just like saying, "Hey, here's your ticket out of hell into heaven," or "Hey, have a decent life," or "Hey, you know, don't cheat on your wife; it goes better for you." It's it's so much more than that. It's not simply a transactional relationship with Christ. He is a priest who looked out and, and saw the price that it would cost to redeem his people, died for them, atoning for them, redeeming them, bringing them back to the Father, bringing them from death to life, and then not just leaving them there, but helping them to, to begin to walk in holiness, to pursue God, to, to honor the Lord, and to um, be obedient and submit to the scriptures. This is why he, he's different than any other kind of priest, and this is why um, he's our atoning uh, sacrifice, and this is why he's the Son of God, and he's our priest um, on our behalf. And, and again, Hebrews is, is all full of just references to that, and Hebrews, I think, four talks about us, and I've said this before, um, approaching the throne of grace, hmm. because we have a great high priest who has walked through and has been tempted in every way that we have been tempted, and yet is without sin. And because of those things, we can now not just say, okay, acknowledge that, but we'll say, I want to believe in that. Like, like he's done that for me. 
Like it should stir a great affection in our hearts because nobody else has done that for you or will or can. You can't yeah, do that for yourself. It, only he can do those things. So it's a matter of understanding that. And so as we talk about all these different verses and all these different kind of takes about referencing the Old Testament and the New Testament and this and that and Melchizedek and the Aaronic priesthood, <laughs> right? All these things you talk about. But the, the, the point is that we have a better and more clear picture of who Christ is and the work that he has done for us. And it's ultimately for God's glory and his praise, but he's done it for us because he loves us. And that should stir great affection for him in our hearts. Yeah, that's it, man. That's good stuff. That's excellent stuff. If you guys heard anything in there that you would like us to elaborate more on, please let us know. Um, I have something. uh, You don't have to raise your hand. Pick me, teacher. Um, I want to elaborate on this. this February 11th of 2012. Rob tweeted, This day has turned into the one of the best days of my life. Oh, great. Hashtag God is so good. Oh, hashtag God is uh, so good. Hashtag God is so good. <laughs> hashtag let go, let God. Why do you have my Twitter? Hashtag. I did not say hashtag <laughs> let go, let God. Oh, God. <laughs> I did not say that. I was that. trying to think of the other, like, but what, what, what was that about? You remember that? I know exactly what that was. I have a hunch, but I. Now, first off, yeah, I know exactly what that was. It <laughs> well, was a great day. You want to take a guess? Okay. Um, yeah. I'll give you was one this, guess. Was this the, date, the first date? No. Okay. It, it was the day. So Daniel and I went on our first date. Yeah. In December, I think it was December 27th or 29th. Okay. I think it was 29th um, of 2010. Yes. 2010. And... It was probably, I don't know, six months later or so what? that that I told her I loved her. She was not ready to say that back. So, you, so told her, you told her that you loved her in the spring of 2011? Yeah. So almost a year later? No, about six months from our first date. Okay, sorry. No, no. Is this when she told you she loved you? Yes. Yeah. So, oh yeah, I see what you're saying. So not quite a year, but like eight months or so. Dang, dude. Nine months, I don't know. But yeah. She made you... Pay for that. She made me work for it. Mm. Yeah, and she she said it then. So like this has been all worth it. It's a great feeling. So yeah, that's cool. what that was. Um, but yeah, if you guys want to reach out to us, you can go to our website simpletheology.org. You can Rob's check us out first on Facebook. tweet on Twitter. Says, oh my goodness, Bob Watson, you are my new favorite athlete. Yep, that not anymore. April fourteenth. He's still he's still one of my favorite athletes. <laughs> so that's for sure. Um, I had to work for these Twitters. That's what I had to do. Yeah, get back on Twitter, man. Mm. Um, and then what else? We already said the website, simpletheology.org. Appreciate you guys. Check it out, simpletheology.org. We're still doing our Audible trial. Yeah, audibletrial.com/simpletheology. You, you get a free book. We get a kickback. Everyone's a winner. Say that. Say that website again. Because I was talking. www.audibletrial.com/simpletheology. Yes. Go there. Go sign there. up. Get a free book. And help us out. Um, other than that, you, you can also email us if you have any yeah. questions, simpletheologypodcast mm-hmm. at gmail.com. Yeah. So, Thanks for your forbearance with us. Yeah, we do appreciate it. You guys' patience is always tested with us, mm. and yet you keep coming back. Thank you. <laughs> we have the best listeners, the most patient, <laughs> merciful listeners. The funny thing is, no one's listening. That's the funny thing. Yeah. <laughs> okay. What do we have to, Rod? 20,000 now? Uh, uh, <laughs> have a good day, y'all. Yeah. Peace. <laughs> Bye.